I am unwilling to give up, that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out, knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control, control, control. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's the Kara Golden Show, and I am Kara Golden, and I'm thrilled to have my next guest here. We have Harrison Fugman with us here today, who is the co-founder and CEO of The Naked Market. You may not know The Naked Market, but my guess is you may have seen some of his extra cool brands on the shelf uh, that he has fairly recently launched over the last couple of years. One of them is called Rob's Backstage Popcorn, and the other one is called Flock Chicken Skins. So The Naked Market is kind of like an incubator. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but more than anything, I want to hear about Harrison's journey of creating these incredible, incredible opportunities with some amazing different strategies, but also I love the idea that he came from another industry and came to become an entrepreneur And we're going to learn a lot about how that's going. So Harrison spent just shy of a decade with Credit Suisse, where he was vice president and the head of venture capital coverage. And after meeting with many leading CPG companies, investors, and founders in this capacity, he decided that they were having way more fun than he was. So he decided, why not go and become an entrepreneur himself? So I love his journey. And as I said, this company has evolved. He's got two brands underneath it currently, so we're going to hear a lot more about it. So without further ado, welcome, Harrison. Thank you very much. Great, great to be here and really appreciate you uh, you having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start at the beginning. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what is the naked market when people say, hey, Harrison, what is the naked market? For sure. So we at The Naked Market own a portfolio of snack brands. So the two that you alluded to, one is Rob's Backstage Popcorn, which we co-founded with the Jonas Brothers based off of a seasoning that they've been eating behind closed doors for over a decade. And then the second is a brand called Flock Chicken Skins, uh, which is a product that was created out of a convenience store experience just outside of Chicago. And uh, while we own these two brands, the important part of our strategy is we launch multiple brands. And so we, we launched the business at the end of 2019. We've since then launched six different brands. And what our strategy is, is we have high conviction on every brand we bring to market. But once we bring a brand into market, uh, we really listen to customers, look at the data and then decide, hey, what brand should we be Uh, putting resources into and scaling, uh, and what brands should we be shutting down? So while there's two live in market today, uh, there's four that have been launched before that and and shut down and and are not at the focus of the company right now. So let's back up a little bit. Prior to actually becoming co-founder of The Naked Market, you were at Credit Suisse. So what do you think that taught you about brands? So obviously, a little later stage brands you were dealing with than what you're doing today. But what was kind of the big 
aha moment when you look back at that time, what you learned? Well, Credit Suisse was a great experience. Uh, I'm from Canada originally, knew I wanted to see the world. CS was an amazing platform to do so. I worked in their Hong Kong, New York, and San Francisco offices. What it taught me a lot about, and I think I'm going to both directly and indirectly answer this question. I kind of took a step back, looked at 10 years ahead and knew that wasn't the path I wanted to be on. And so that shaped the push into, all right, what do I want to do? Uh, and I, I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of amazing founders such as yourselves who were making a, an outsized impact in the day-to-day -day lives of, of uh, both consumers, but also a larger ecosystem around them. And I knew that was it. And entrepreneurship had always been in my blood and I touched on it in a few different ways. And then in terms of the day-to-day -day of, of what that role taught me was, I think most of it just about process, process, organization, and the ability to take best practices from industry A and create your own set of best practices in industry B and go out and execute on them and, uh, and hopefully be, be successful. So what did your role not teach you, knowing what you know today about, I mean, I guess the, the one thing that I would say, or I'm super curious about is the really early stage company journey that you're going through and building these brands. Was it what you expected? Were there a lot of things that you just had no idea that you were going to have to do along the way? Yeah, the, I'd say the biggest thing out of the gates is just getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh -huh. uh, and I think when you come from you know a truly corporate background, like an investment bank, things are very structured. You're focused on perfection and getting things 100% right or close thereof. And and running a startup is just the complete opposite. You Nothing is ever 100% right. And that can be your packaging and typos on it or being comfortable that, that 90, getting 90% of the way there is going to be good enough in many instances. And the never-ending rakes that you step in. Every time you grow the business, there's a new set of challenges that really occur. And How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. 
The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. In today's world, which I will admit can at times seem filled with too much of the wrong information, it's essential to find a good source that truly gets to the heart of what I want to know. I am super excited about our next sponsor as I've been a big fan of their content for some time now. That sponsor is the Washington Post. Their depth on topics from business to tech isn't just impressive, It's essential reading for me. Whether I'm catching up on the latest tech trends or understanding how the day's news truly impacts my family, the Washington Post is my trusted source. Let's talk specifics. Their business and tech coverage, absolutely top-notch. Just imagine having the most insightful articles at your fingertips, including the unparalleled AI reporting from Drew Harwell or the pulse on tech and online culture from Taylor Lorenz. And the best part? You can listen to articles just like you listen to this podcast, making it perfect for your busy lifestyle. I was just reading an article from one of my favorite Washington Post writers, Frances Stead Sellers. She covers entrepreneurs like myself, but also covers other interesting topics, including health as well as some very interesting books. I also love getting their For You newsletter, which is their roundup of stories tailored just for my interests, right in my inbox every evening. The Washington Post app is super well done, I think. It makes it incredibly easy to stay up to date and follow my favorite journalists on the go. And if you ever thought that the Washington Post is just about politics, think again. They cover everything under the sun from climate and culture to crosswords and cooking, providing a world of surprising stories and vital insights. Okay, enough of the love fest that I have for the Washington Post. Here's the deal. Being a listener of the Kara Golden Show has its benefits, and this one is too good to miss. Now is the time to sign up for the Washington Post. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. That's 80% off their typical offer. So this is truly a steal. Once again, that's WashingtonPost.com backslash Kara Golden to subscribe for just 50 cents per week for your first year. And until you're going through them day to day, it's really, really hard to prep for them. But that's why you hopefully put yourself in in an environment with great advisors who can give you heads up along the way. Uh, But those are a few of the things that that come to mind. So what was the moment that you decided to actually make this leap? Uh, So I took the job as head of venture capital coverage, and I did that for about a year. I was with Credit Suisse for about seven. Throughout the whole time I was at Credit Suisse, I knew that I wanted to 
start a business. Mm -hmm. There was just, I'd say, three things that needed to line up. And that was number one, uh, I knew I was going to eat, sleep, and breathe what I did. So I needed to be incredibly passionate about the vertical I was going after. Number two was it needed to be a favorable dynamic for new age entrants or, or new age companies in that industry. And number three, I needed great people to do it with. And so there was about, you know, at seven years, it was at the back of my mind. Uh, that last year in the seat I had, it really, you know, put me in an incredibly unique situation just to see so many different types of companies, meet so many different investors and, and find uh, an area where those three things really aligned. And that was love food and beverage, love health and wellness. So knew the passion was there to be putting 365 days a year into something. Uh, the, the second bit got to see a lot of the success stories uh, for, uh, for brands like, like what you built at, at Hint and, and know, hey, you have a, this amazing dynamic where consumer preferences around healthy eating have changed at a time when incumbents have been under-investing in R&D. And so if you can bring a great product to market and tell a really unique, authentic story behind it, you can garner significant scale uh, in a pretty quick period of time. Uh, and then the third was very fortunate where two of my good friends uh, both felt the same way about the industry, saw the same uh, dynamics in, from a competitive perspective, and, and boom, we were off to the races. So to fully answer that, I, seven years I always knew, uh, but it was the last year that I really got to just see so much that it made me know that food and beverage was the perfect place to be for me. So do you have one or two co-founders? So there's there's two co-founders, um, albeit in in very different roles. Uh -huh. uh, coming into this as a first time founder, uh, and two of us where we knew that that we wanted to have a, a group of folks at the table that were very complimentary to ourselves. So one of the th third co-founder, uh, day one was our president, continues to be so. He's a, a very successful entrepreneur, uh, has started and sold various businesses, and so he was the the experience at the table that. Uh, really, it was really, really helpful, especially in the early days of of going from you know zero to your first one, getting product into market, and then once product's in market, making the right decisions around it and getting your first million plus dollars of revenue. Got it. So the first brand that you launched, do you remember back then? So what what was the first one, and how did you decide to pick that as your your stake in the ground? Yeah. So all the brands we launch follow a pretty similar framework around disruption. So a big category owned by stale incumbents where there's a clear disruptable market leader that through bringing a, a new brand to market and, and having it new innovative brand to market should be able to have that be our, our edge. The first brand was a brand called Beach House Bowls. It was a ready to eat acai smoothie bowl. Tremendous growth around, uh, around acai bowl consumption, mm -hmm. smoothie consumption. You haven't really seen it done in the grocery store in a ready-to-go format. And so we were really excited about the concept, uh, loved the way the product tasted, loved the brand, loved the design, loved everything about it. Uh, and then we launched it and it just drastically underwhelmed. And mm. so we probably knew in the first 60 to 90 days that that wasn't going to be it. And a large part of why we knew that is because that uh, in that you know 60 to 90 day period, we'd also launched our second brand shortly after, which was Flock. And we just looked at the data between BHS Bowls and we looked at the data, data beside Flock. And it was it proved out, uh, at least in an early stage, the thesis of our model at the naked market, which is 
very early on, you can delineate between a brand that has large scale potential and a brand that's going to be stuck on a path of, of mediocrity. So it made the decision really, really easy for us to shut down Beach House Bulls uh, and put our energy and resources into, into Flock. Do you have any specific time period that you give a brand in order to make those kind of decisions? We generally say 60 to 90 days. And I think most of the time that's how it plays out, but there's always exceptions to the rules. But generally speaking, we know pretty early on. Whether or not it's going to make it or not. So you mentioned yeah. that You've had six brands. What are some of the other brands that you've done as well? So uh, the two that are live in market and, and sold nationally across various retailers are, are Rob's Backstage Popcorn and Flock Chicken Skins. The four uh, that have been shut down, one of them is Beach House Bowls, the Ready Tea Dasai Smoothie Bowl. Uh, one of them is Ava Crazy, which was a, a avocado puff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them was Project Breakfast, which was a ready-to-eat, high-protein, low-carb uh, breakfast beverage. And that was our first idea ever. So not our first brand that we launched, but the first idea was was around Project Breakfast, which also failed. A lot of our high-conviction ideas, funny enough, aren't what are currently making an impact in the market right now. So interesting. So let's talk about Rob's. You feel like you've really hit it with Rob's and obviously co-founded are the Jonas brothers, their co-founders in this project as well. Yep. And so talk a little bit about what the learnings are there. It is such a tasty product and it's really, really good. So share a little bit more about that. Thank you. That's been a, a really, really fun brand to take it on. And you know, with the the business model we have at the naked market, we'd always seen a, a bunch of different inbounds from celebrities that wanted to create brands. What where we've been largely reluctant was we thought you really need quite a few factors to line up for uh, for celebrity brands to have the level of impact that I, I think everyone looks for when they when when they create create a business and. The first is you need to have a really authentic story. Like consumers mm-hmm. see right through a name slap. The second is you need to have a, a tasty product. The third is hopefully there's a, a favorable competitive dynamics around the industry of that product. Uh, and then the fourth is about does your partner in it, does the celebrity, do they want to actually like do, do the work and put the effort in? And with Rob's, all four of those have just really lined up out of the gates. So we, we were uh, introduced to the brothers in uh, 2021, they shared the, the, the backstory of the brand, which is uh, their guitarist's uh, father is a gentleman named Rob. Uh, he'd been making this popcorn since the late 80s. They, just, they tried it for the first time in 2011. Uh, and for the better part of a decade, it'd just been their, their go-to favorite snack. Mm-hmm. And they'd always talked about turning it into a brand. It, it just never lined up. And, and so last year, we came together to do it. Uh, we partnered with Live Nation uh, and uh, actually launched the brand on their Remember This Tour across Live Nation venues. And the driver that, or the focus there was, you know, they they love this product um, and they have an amazing fan base and they wanted to introduce the, the popcorn to their, their fans and their community in a really unique and brand enhanced way. Uh, and so dropping it at the tours and having, uh, that as the discovery process was a really, really, uh, impactful way to, to introduce the brand to market. Uh, then we launched it D to C, uh, a couple months after, uh, and then 
in Q2 of this year, 2022, we launched the brand nationwide at around 3,000 Walmarts, where the data relative to peers in the category has been uh, has been really, really exciting. And we've got some big both retail and, and SKU plans for 2023, uh, which we'll, uh, we'll be talking about at some point in, uh, in the future. What is the big thing that you've seen with celebrity partners? Like, obviously, the Jonas Brothers are excited to get this out and help you with the partnership. Uh, have you just seen in, in opening doors? Um, the poll, obviously, you have different types of distribution with concert venues and, and some of the other things that you're doing as well. But what is your thinking? I mean, now that you've seen this kind of work, like it, it, it definitely does work if you can find the right celebrity. And obviously, you have to have a great product as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's with any brand. And I think any brand, these are the things you want to figure out is like, one, how can we gain distribution and how can we get the product on shelf? And then two, once you're on shelf, how do you drive trial in the product mm-hmm. uh, and how do consumers buy it? Because if it's a great product, customers will rebuy it. Uh, and I think broadly speaking, it, across all celebrity brands that are successful, that's what they nail is, is that their partner can help open doors. And then once you're on shelf, uh, they can leverage their follower account and their influence to actually get folks in store and and try uh, the the brand that that they're uh, that they're really excited about and and that's where we've been pretty fortunate out of the gates where you know this is a brand that that the brothers love because it's you know so close to home for them like they call it a family brand all the yeah. time uh, and so as such when you combine that passion with the influence they have and and then the outright taste of, of the product and a lot of the competitive dynamics around the, the specific subcategory we're going after in popcorn. Uh, it's, it's been a, a special, you know, first year plus out of the gates. What has been the biggest thing that you've learned about the food industry in general? You've worked in snacks and uh, I guess you've covered other categories as well, but what in general about the food industry has been really great. What has been kind of a learning experience that you didn't see working in finance? I, I think what's what's great about it uh, is first and foremost, the people and the passion. People are doing, are in this industry, it's passion first. And so, you know, I came from an industry in finance of just generally speaking, outright complaining. And <laughs> uh, people who, uh, it, their motives for being there were very different than than in food where it feels like everyone wants to be there. And that's across the board, whether, you know, it's the agencies that are in the industry, it's the, it's the companies, the the actual brands that are, that are, are moving things, whether it's the retailers uh, it's just, it's a very engaged, positive industry. And, and I love that Uh, trade shows, as you know, like the energy in them is, uh, is like nothing else I've ever felt in my professional career uh, just the general networking across different roles in uh, in the industry at people. It's it's great people end to end in the ecosystem. I think what's what's really cool from a, just a dynamic perspective, you only need to get a few things really right mm-hmm. for a brand to reach significant scale, uh, and I mean that from a distribution perspective. You know, there's there's a few key partners that can really move the needle for the brand. And when you can open up distribution in those and do well, uh, it can put you on a pretty quick path uh, to to build a, a, a healthy business. As a startup, 
we, we move at a million miles a minute. The deadline for everything for us is yesterday. And there, in many cases, is a slower pace to the industry, which can make getting certain things done take a lot longer than you would like. And that can be on the production and manufacturing side. It can be on the retail and distribution side. And so having a little patience yeah. can, can be something that we probably work on. I've said that many times, that patience is my downfall. <laughs> So it's uh, it's really really tough to have it, uh, especially when when you're really passionate and really excited about getting going, uh, and things do take a lot longer than I think often they need to, uh, but they just do. And uh, I I definitely am uh, am with you on on that. So how do you think your company has changed since the beginning? Obviously, you know you've launched a number of different brands, but has the focus changed? Have you changed? Have you uh, what do, What do you think when you look back on those early days versus how you think about business today? What's changed? It's a great question. The core strategy has not changed. You look at the day one business plan. To where we are today, the core pillars are still in line. And it's really been the kind of some of those more details that have changed. So for example, category focus, we're very big into snack right now. And that would be the core focus moving forward. First, we were much more category agnostic when we launched the company. Uh, how we think about success has drastically changed. Mm-hmm. You know, if you told me in 2019 that we would have you know, two eight-figure brands that we built in from a revenue perspective in, you know, two and a half years, I would have told you like that, that you were, uh, like, I, it's just that that was the blue sky scenario to have one, let alone two. Sure. Uh, and now how we just are kind of like moving, <laughs> you kind of move that goalpost from, uh, from, all right, well, we've made this level of impact. How do we take it from, you know, an eight-figure top-line brand to a nine-figure top-line brand? And so there's definitely been uh, a change in in how we think about success. I don't love that because it's very important that we don't want to just keep moving that goalpost and we want to enjoy the day-to-day and and both the small wins and, and the big wins. But, it, I mean, it definitely has. And just the, the, the learning process and, and the experience that we've garnered, it's uh, – I, I do feel – like a, a very different person today than day one. Yeah. The journey. Uh, it's been, it's been an emotional journey of the highest of highs and, and the lowest of lows. It's interesting on uh, an episode that uh, we just launched actually Megan Reamer from Jackson's as uh was on and she talked a lot about how within 24 hours you can have extreme highs and extreme lows. And when she was, uh, a reporter for the Wall Street Journal and did, you know, a lot of other really, really amazing things. She said that she had never really realized, you know, what founders and creators really go through because it it truly is, there isn't a wave as much as like the spikes are there that she described and you've got to be in it and you've got to be okay with that. And there are many people who just decide this isn't for me because they don't like that. But I think nobody really talks about that, like the spikes of that. And I think to some extent, being around other founders and sort of hearing their stories that that is just what this industry is is about is, uh, 
it's comforting, I guess, in some ways that it's not just you having these, you know, failures along the way, or, um, you know, of course, celebrating the successes is really important too, but it's, uh, it's definitely um, interesting. Uh, would you say that that's the same experience? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and what I'd add to it is just what's changed a lot back to the initial question is the comfort level you have with handling those lows and, and, uh, and highs. And so, you know, the first time that, you know, you have a, a retailer either reject you or, uh, or push or cancel something, uh, the, the the way in which you deal with it the second, third or fourth time it happens, you're just you, you've seen it before. And so you've garnered a, a, a much higher level of, of comfort with it. The same way on the other side, like the first time you get a big national rollout, you know, you're overwhelmed with uh, with excitement and responsibility coming your way. And then once you've done it once doing it the second, third, fourth and fifth time, it, it just becomes a lot. You get a lot more comfortable. Uh, yeah, things can swing so wildly quickly. I've had the best days become the worst days and the worst days also become the best days. Uh, and I'm not really sure what type of day today will be, but obviously a, a great start uh, getting it going with 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 you on the pod right now. You're in it. So I'd love to just hear one of those stories where you had a huge challenge uh, in building the business and then you were like, okay, I can do this. Something that you didn't expect along the way that maybe just kind of hit you hard. I would say inventory planning uh-huh. has been the hard, one of the harder parts of the business because you get these big retail rollouts and there's a lot of forecasting that goes into them. And there's certain assumptions you can be very comfortable with and other ones that you can be surprised with. And so uh, there's been a few situations in our company where we've been on the wrong side of how much inventory we're, we are sitting on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been some very dark days around that and, and getting a feel for how are we actually going to get this inventory off our hands and, and into different retail touch points and, and eventually customers' hands. And that's definitely been... Uh, one area of, of the highest kind of downside felt and, uh, and sleepless nights that uh, over time has, has worked itself out. And so what have you learned about you during those periods of time? Uh, there was a time and there was four of us in the room and we're cranking through the numbers on exactly what we're sitting on and where it needs to go. And I just kind of stopped everyone. I was like, hey, you know, regardless of how this comes out, it's crazy that there's four of us sitting on this massive problem. And if it works out, it'll be the four of us that, you know, get to really relish the execution of the victory. And if it doesn't, you know, it'll be a big black eye, but we'll learn what it feels like to really be punched in the face. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we managed to figure it out and come out in a great side. And so what I'd learned about myself in that was I'm really in this for the day to day. Uh, and I'm in this for the good and the bad. Uh, and I'm going to enjoy the entire end to end process, even if, you know, that means some of those days are going to be complete hectic, hecticness with, with massive risk on the line. I think coming into the company, the way I would have thought about that day would have been a lot more like, 
we need to get this done. If we don't, then these are the, you know, this is where it's going to put us. And I think putting that positivity or a positivity in the room, I think ultimately led to why a lot of the outcomes we've dealt with, whether it's in that scenario or many others have, uh, have proven to be pretty positive so far. Yeah. And you just figure it out. I mean, I think that that's the key thing. You just have to figure out a way to make it happen. So you're a founder, you're a creator. What would you say is kind of the the biggest thing that keeps you motivated? I would I would say me as a creator, I've learned a ton about consumers. I am absolutely obsessed with consumers. I I sit there and I I dream about consumers. I mean, I I really am watching how they react to things and and obviously you're you've got a number of different brands that you're doing the same, but I'm, I'm so curious what keeps you motivated. Yeah, you nailed it. it. It's all about the consumer and it's both the impact that we can have on the consumer, but also looking at the other ways consumers are being impacted by other brands and whether that's competitive brands or whether that's brands in other industries and, and how can we have that, that same level of, of impact. So one is just, just, having an incredible proudness and conviction in all of the brands in our portfolios and, and in our portfolio and, and the general mindset of like, I want everyone in America to try Rob's backstage. But then, you know, beyond that, obsessing over, you know, how are they going to try the product and, and how are we going to build the brand so that way we can have, you know, such an outsized impact on the industry and do it in a really short period of time. So it's consumer, consumer, consumer. And with so much feedback around that, it's endless motivation. And that feedback can come from people buying it online and giving you, you know, writing into customer service. It can come from your social media presence. It can come from walking into a retailer and, and seeing the brand and seeing a consumer either, you know, buy it or pick it up and put it back and asking them why they did that. But the, the consumer and, and, and they do it in, in so many different ways. Yeah, definitely. It's it is so motivating. I remember the first email that I got from a consumer. I had never written a brand ever. It not even to complain. And I remember when I got that first email from a consumer, it was probably 2 days after we had been on the shelf at Whole Foods, and I thought it brings a lot to the founder and the creator's journey and even if it's feedback that they don't want to hear. Uh, it's important feedback to talk to people about uh, the brand because I think it's how they learn and it's how they grow the brand in a, in a lot of ways. And it's an important piece. Totally. And for us being launching everything e-com first, it's provided an unbelievable forum to get that feedback. And as you touched on both good and bad, uh, I'll never forget like when Flock started going, we started to get some negative comments around, you know, when you sell chicken skin in a bag. Many love it, but some don't. And I remember our email list at the time, we probably had like 15, 20,000 customers. So it was just in the earlier days of, of, in the first few months of the brand. And we sent an email to every customer and the subject was just like honest feedback. And it was like, Hey, you know, name's Harrison. I'm, I'm founder and CEO of Flock by the Naked Market. And I'd really appreciate it if you let me know what you thought of, my, of, yeah. of our brand. And if you could just like fill out this brief survey. And we spent that weekend and 
responded truly the the team to thousands of of responses and seeing the excitement that we were bringing to customers is something I'll never forget. And yes, there was the bad, and we could bucket the bad into uh, into pockets that that we'd want to go on and fix. But that the mass majority of of positivity was like something I'd never felt in in my professional life. Yeah, and being that close to the consumer is uh, is a very it's a powerful thing, and I think it's what drives most entrepreneurs, certainly in the food and beverage industry, but I think in any industry, the closer you can get to that consumer, uh, the better. So, well, thank you so much, Harrison. Appreciated all the great insights and the conversation and you making time and good luck with everything uh, with all of your brands. So everybody needs to grab Rob's backstage popcorn and definitely try Flock Chicken Skins as well. And we'll have all of the information for both in the show notes too. So thanks again, Harrison. Thank you so much, Kara. Thanks all for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And I want to thank all of our guests and our sponsors. And finally, our listeners, keep the great comments coming in. And one final plug, if you have not read or listened to my book, Undaunted, please do so. You will hear all about my journey, including founding, scaling, and building the company that I founded, Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.